And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the word of the Lord. As you sit, stay right there in Revelation 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab one that is in a seat somewhere nearby in front of you and turn to the very back of that Bible, Revelation uh, chapter 2. And as Nikki was reading that passage over us, I couldn't help but think of this warning that Christ gave to his followers. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. See, the reality is where there is a great work of God happening among the people of God, there is a great opportunity for wolves to come in seeking to distract, destroy, and devour that work. Let me say that again. Where there's a great work of God happening amongst a people of God, there's a great opportunity for wolves to come in and distract, destroy, and devour that work. And this is exactly what we see happening in this letter that Christ is writing, addressing this congregation at the city uh, in the town of Thyatira. Now, I want you to look in your Bible, verse, uh, uh, Revelation 2, verse 18. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira. And so uh, you'll see Thyatira on the map and uh, what was called Asia Minor then, what's modern-day Turkey now. Um, Thyatira, of all the cities we've talked about thus far, is the most kind of average, run-of-the-mill, typical uh, Asia Minor town. It was um, a heavy manufacturing town. Uh, uh, dyed cloth and, and bronze smiths and potters and bakers that made up the landscape of this town. And really, the culture of the town was shaped primarily by two G's, two G's, the guilds and one God, the guilds and one God. 
Uh, Thyatira, the landscape of it, the society of the town was, was really heavily dictated by the trade guilds, or you could think of at that time uh, labor unions. And often in a town like Thyatira, um, it would have been laid out in a square, not too unlike the way a lot of our Indiana towns were built. And the different guilds would own different parts of that square. And, and the guilds just shaped the culture of the town in so many ways. And we'll talk more about that as the message goes on. But, but then there was one predominant god in Thyatira that was, that was worshipped maybe over and above the other gods, and that was the god Apollo. And Apollo was often referred to as the son of Zeus or the son of God. And so when you, when you look and you see how Jesus describes himself to these followers in Thyatira, look at what he says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the words of who? The words of who? The words of the capital S, capital G, Son of God. I want you to understand something. Any claim an idol makes, Jesus will show up on the scene and supersede that claim. Don't forget it for that day and don't forget it for our day. Jesus will always show up and supersede any claim of an idol. If some idol claims to hold out to you pleasure, Jesus really teaches us where ultimate pleasure is found. If some idol shows up and, and claims power or this or that, Jesus will always show up and prove why that is a lie and why he is true. And so he says to them, I know you're part of the town in which Apollo, the son of God, reigns. But let me tell you something. The son of God has a word for you. And look, out, look at how else he describes himself. The words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now remember, at the, the beginning of each of these addresses to each of these congregations, we often find this little snapshot of part of the full description of the Son of God that we saw in Revelation chapter 1. Um, but but the, the, the eyes of fire and the feet of burnished bronze aren't only mentioned in the Bible in Revelation 1. They're also mentioned way back in Daniel chapter 10 as the Son of Man is described with these eyes of flaming fire and with these, these feet and these legs like burnished bronze. And so um, when Jesus addresses this church, he wants them to understand that the, the, the real, the true Son of God is addressing you. And this Son of God has eyes like a flame of fire. His eyes see perfectly. He has perfect spiritual sight. Jesus can judge perfectly. Why? Because he can see the intent of the heart. Is that not sobering, y'all? I can fool you. I can fool you for a little bit. You can fool each other for a little bit. Jesus sees perfect with 20-20 spiritual sight, the, the intents of the heart all the time. And he's going to talk about that more in this letter. And so he's got these eyes of flaming fire and these feet like burnished bronze in a, in a town that, that knew well the strength of bronze, would have manufactured and, and, and beat and molded into uh, 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 weapons of war out of bronze. Jesus is saying, the one, the son of God with eyes that see with perfect sight, whose feet are like strong burnished bronze, I am the one now coming with a word to you. And my word has perfect judgment and is perfect in every way. And then he's going to get into the contents of the letter. And, and the contents of this letter follow the, the kind of the similar structure we've seen in a lot of these letters. He's going to commend them for something they're doing so well. 
He's going to call them out for something in the congregation that's grieving their heart. And then he's going to hold out to them the promise that he offers to those who are conquerors in Christ. And this is a church where there are so many good works that are so pleasing to Jesus. But in the midst of all those good works, there's a really bad wolf seeking to devour the work that God is doing. And so today is all about this. Jesus calls his church to keep up good works and to not tolerate bad wolves. Now, so much of today and so much of these letters in this series have more of a corporate application, more of a, an application for us as a whole church. And, 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 and I want to tell you right up front why this is so important. Why we can't miss what, what, what Jesus commends about a congregation, what he calls out in a congregation, how he gets our eyes up and vertical and talks about what the hope held out for conquerors. Because we have to understand what Jesus says about what can happen when a wolf comes into the midst of the congregation. Do you know, uh, uh, it, when a wolf comes in and seeks to devour the great work that God is doing in the midst of a congregation, that has deep ramifications on our church. Is that true? Those deep ramifications on our church will have deep ramifications on your family. Those deep ramifications on a family will have deep ramifications on a heart. This matters. It's so important that we hear and we heed the word of the Lord today. And so in light of that, instead of me praying for you, I want you to do this, to warm your heart for what the word of God says. I want you to turn to whoever you came with. Maybe you're here with one other. Maybe you're here with your family. Maybe you're here with a friend. I want you to pray together that God would prepare your heart, warm your heart for what the word has to say to you. And if you're here alone right now and you're like, oh, no, 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 grab the coat, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Uh, just bow your head right there and pray and ask that God would open your heart to what the word of the God, what the word of God has to say. Ready, go. Let's pray and prepare our heart for this. Lord, we're here to hear from your word, plain and simple. God, we need your word. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. God, we need it to encourage. We need it to correct. We need it to rebuke. We need it to train us for righteousness. God, we're here to feast on your word. Why? So that our lives conform to your word. Why? So that you get the glory, God. Please. Come and do a great work in our heart through your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 19, here's the commendation. Here's what Christ commands. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. First thing, write it down as this. Christ commends his church for keeping his works and continuing to grow. 
Christ commends his church for keeping his works. Now, it's a phrase I'm using intentionally, keeping his works. It's a phrase we'll see it come again later in the letter. He commends his church when we keep his works and when we continue to grow in them. And I, and, and I want you to look at something in verse 19. There are four specific works that Christ calls out about this congregation. In so many ways, Thyatira is thriving. And I want us to look at some of the specific ways that Christ identifies that. The first way that Thyatira is thriving, he says, I know your works. I know your love. They're thriving in love. If you'll remember all the way back to the first letter that we studied, the letter written to the church at Ephesus, they were passionate for truth, but they were lacking in what? They were lacking in love. Now Christ comes on the scene. He says, Thyatira, I see you. Your love is hot. It is burning hot, and I'm pleased by that. And this pleases Jesus because of what he said in John chapter 13. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you have love for one another. God's people are to be marked by love. This is to be a place filled with love. And we don't let the world and culture hijack that word. We define what love is by what the Bible says, but we are to be a people of love. And the, the Lord looks on and he says, Thyatira, you're thriving in love. But they're not only thriving in love. He says, I know your works, your love, and, and what's next? And what? And your faith. Hey, we are faith people. Are you a person of faith? You're a faith person. We're faith people. The Bible says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. We believe the good news of the gospel message by faith. We believe that God came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died the death we deserve to die for our sin. He was hung on a cross. His blood ran down the wood. He was laid in a tomb. And then three days later, he rose victorious over sin and death. Now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is ruling and reigning as the King of Kings. And he invites us to himself to be saved from our sin by faith. We're faith people. Well, uh, have, have you ever seen heaven, Pastor? No, nope, but I'm going there. And I hope you are too. Take it to the bank. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. And we bet our life on it. And you turn to a, a chapter in the Bible, like Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, right? Uh, well, before I get there, let me, let me read this. J.I. Packer says this, Faith is a practical embracing of God's promises and adhering to them against all odds. It's a practical embracing. Faith is not just theoretical. We don't just drink coffee and eat scones and talk, hmm, and ponder about faith. It has deep application on our life. We live by faith. We take God's word at his word and it changes the way we act and live on it. So thus, when you turn to a chapter like Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abraham, when God said go, went, even though he didn't know where he was going. That's what it says. Abraham, walk south. Oh, uh, where? I'll tell you. I'll tell you when you get there. And what did he do? He obeyed by faith. Noah started swinging a hammer and building a big old boat. How? By faith. 
Faith has practical application. And the Lord looks down at a thriving Thyatira and he says, I see your faith. And it pleases my heart. But that's not all. I know your works, your love and faith and service. I see your heart to serve my servants. I see your heart to serve each other. They were following in the way of their master. Mark chapter 10 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And these followers of Jesus are following in this way, a way of service. So I know your, your love and faith and service, and then I know your patient endurance. And one thing I hope that we're seeing about the believers in all of these cities that we've been looking at, uh, did it take some endurance to follow hard after Christ? Does the Christian life take some endurance? Is the Christian life not a marathon? Aren't there moments of it that feel like mile one and mile two? Like, this is fun. We're running a marathon. And aren't there moments that feel like mile 22, 23, 24? This stinks. We're running a marathon. And listen, it took endurance. It took spirit-given endurance to thrive in a town like Thyatira. I told you that the uh, trade guilds kind of dominated the landscape of the city. And, and so if you're a bronze smith, a potter, a baker, whatever, um, al almost everyone joined these different guilds depending on the different trade in which you lived out. And, and most of these guilds would have had their, their patron god or goddess that they worshipped. So they would throw feasts and parties to these patron gods. And, and, and it was just like all the other cities we saw. These feasts and parties were full of a lot of booze and a lot of sexual immorality and a lot of things that if you were following hard after Christ, you didn't want any part of. And so what happened? The Christians in the town of Thyatira started going like, hey, hold on, time out. We, we can't be part of that trade guild. We don't do that. We're different than that. We can't show up and worship your patron god or goddess and, and get all boozed up and practice all this. We can't do it. And so they didn't join the guilds or they pulled out of the guilds. And, and now let's, let's, just, let's just, you know, decide by voting. Do you think that's good for business or bad for business? Right? And like seven of you voted, okay? Like, bad for business, right? I mean, there were deep, deep, deep economic realities if you were going to follow Christ in Thyatira. And he says, I see your endurance. I see your patient endurance. And I am pleased. But then maybe it was uh, the most general of the list, but one of my favorites. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And that here, this is beautiful. And that your latter works exceed the first. What does that mean? What's that mean? What? They're growing. The Lord looks down. The Lord of the church looks down. And he says, I see your love. I see your faith. I see your service. I see that you're enduring and you're growing even in the midst of all those, you're being sanctified. There's progress. Praise the Lord for the sanctification of his saints. You with me? We're justified the day we believe, and he spends the rest of our life sanctifying us to look more and more and more like Jesus every day. Praise him for it. For his sanctifying work of progress and of growth of looking more like Jesus. But now, let's do a little exercise together because... Um, I think it's really important 
that we take time, that we, that we step back and take an inventory from time to time at how the Lord is growing us and is growing us in the midst of our church. Here's why it's important that we actually take intentional time where we step back, take an inventory to go, how have we seen the Lord sanctifying? Here's why it's important. So much of growth in the Christian life is what I call unseen, the power of unseen incremental growth. The power of unseen incremental growth. What do I mean by that? Tomorrow, Lord willing, you're going to get up, you're going to get your face in the Bible, you're going to spend time in word, you're going to spend time talking to the Lord in prayer, and you're probably not going to stand up from your chair and go, huh, just grew a spiritual inch today. And you're going to get with your discipleship group this week, and you're going to sit in a circle around God's word. You're going to break off for a time of accountability, and you're probably not going to walk out the front door and go, man, we just grew spirit, three spiritual inches. You're going to show up to church next week, and you're going to do it again and again and again and again for corporate worship, corporate fellowship, corporate worship through the song, corporate worship through the word. And so much of that, you don't even realize, you don't see all the time right in your face, how God is molding, shaping, and growing us. And so it's important from time to time, you step back and you go, let's just take inventory. Where was I three years ago? Where was I five years ago? Praise be to God for sanctification. And last week for us as a church, I just had one of those moments sitting in that seat right there where I just, I just sat back and I went, oh my goodness, praise God for what he's doing in our midst to his glory. Last Sunday, our young adult worship team led us in worship. Our young adult worship team led us in worship. How many of you were blessed by that? Right? Very young adult. Like, I go to that church every Sunday, right? And then across the hall, a, a, a whole room packed out for formational theology of people just going, I'm hungry for doctrine. Give me the word of God. Uh, not only a whole room packed out, an entire waiting list is now full. Uh, someone walked up after uh, first service last week and said, why can't we just do it in this room? Let's go. Like, everyone just get in here. Let's do it. A place hungry for the word of God and to have doctrine, sound doctrine that's shaped by the word of God. And then after both services last week, you all filled the room twice over to say, I'm ready to live out the witness W. Get me to the inner city of Indy. Get me to the inner city of Chicago. Get me to the inner city of Denver. Masses of us ready to sign up and go, we're going, we're going. Last Sunday, uh, uh, installing and commissioning three new elders and two new deacons in our church. Thanks be to God. And then uh, last Sunday night, I hopped on I-65, drove south to Jeffersonville because we've been invited into the planting of a new church down in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And so first vision night, there we are. I'm sitting in a church in Jeffersonville, Indiana, and I'm just like, God, how do we get to be part of all this? And I get back on the interstate, driving north on I-65, and I just stopped and I said, God, thank you for the growth that you have worked in our midst all to your glory. Talking spiritual growth. It's important that we step back from time to time and worship him and say thank you for sanctifying your saints. And so he says, I see you, Thyatira. I see your works. I see your love. I see your faith. I see your service. I see your endurance. And I see that you're growing. Praise be to God. 
Now, when there's a great work of God happening in the midst of the people of God, how would you finish that? Watch out. Watch out. And we don't say that with our knees knocking all in fear. Oh, no, what's going to? No, we just say with discernment, with spirit-given discernment, watch out. Church family, eyes open. Know the reality. Know what Jesus taught about this. And let's learn from what we see in the midst of a congregation here. Watch out, verse 20. But I have this against you. That you, and here's a big word, that you what? What's the word? That you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrifice to idols. Second thing, write it down. Christ calls out his church for tolerating wolves in their midst. Now, uh, in fairness, I need to prove to you, why would I label this, 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 this false prophet referred to as, as Jezebel? Why would I label her a wolf? Well, let's go back to that Matthew 7 passage. Dakota, let's go to the one at the beginning. It says, beware of false prophets. Uh, she seems to check the category of a false prophet. It says, she calls herself a prophetess. But we know based on the rest of how her teaching and seducing is described, she is not really a prophet of God. So think about that, okay? Think about someone saying, thus says the Lord, and God didn't really say it. How do you feel when someone says you said, someone says you said something you didn't say? You try saying that. How do you feel when someone says you said something you didn't really said? Now imagine being holy God, never spoke a careless word in your life, who has a lot to say through his word about what, what, what he thinks of his word and the power of his word, his power to create, his power to purify. And now you have a false prophet saying, thus says the Lord. And God's like, I didn't say that. She's a false prophet. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. There's the dangerous part. They look like sheep. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. She's a ravenous wolf. How do we know she's a ravenous wolf? I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. How is she a ravenous wolf? She's teaching and seducing, what a powerful word, seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. She's teaching and she's seducing. She's leading my servants, my bond servants away to practice sexual immorality, and to take part in idol worship festivities. And, and what, is he, what does he call out about the church? What's the church doing? They're tolerating her. That word tolerate has a range of meanings. It can mean anything from accept to, to, to tolerate or to not stand against. They're not firmly rebuking and standing against someone and some things that need to be firmly rebuked and stood against. And Jesus and how he <clears throat> addresses her, he calls her Jezebel. Seems to be a reference back to the Old Testament uh, uh, queen married to a, a really bad king in the history of Israel called King Ahab. And Jezebel would be part of leading God's people into Baal worship, 
Jezebel would see that the prophets of God were killed. The Lord is saying, just like Jezebel of, of old, this false prophet has come into our midst and is leading my people away into immorality and idolatry. She's a wolf. Now, I got two questions that we need to follow up on that. How do we know, how do we know a wolf in the midst of the flock? How do we know? By their fruits. Jesus told us. Right, because the hard part is, like, often they look like sheep. They can even smell like sheep. It, it feels like for a long time they might just fit in the midst of the congregation. But Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. Look at the fruits of this Jezebel here. How she's seducing into sexual immorality. That is not of God. It's the same, it's the same reality when, when we, in, you know, in our day today and in this congregation today. You know, the, the, the greatest danger to the church, the greatest danger to the church isn't that which, would come, that which comes from the outside. The greatest danger to the church is a wolf rising up from the inside. How do we know? By their fruits. Holy Spirit, give us discernment. Holy Spirit, help us not fall in love with the charisma of a man or a woman whose fruits don't bear out that of the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, help us to not fall victim to beautiful oratory or rhetoric of one whose fruits do not bear that of the Holy Spirit. You'll know them by their fruits. So the first question was, how do we know? The second question related to this is, how does Jesus deal with wolves? Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. Third thing, to the, the answer to that question, how does Jesus deal with wolves? Christ is both patiently merciful and perfectly just in dealing with wolves. Now, you heard what I just read and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. where's the patient mercy part? Look back again at the beginning of verse 21. What's it say? I gave her time to repent. Can we just stop for a minute and worship over the long-suffering long mercy of a holy God in that? That someone would say God said something that he didn't say and God would give her time to repent. How long-suffering and merciful is our God? I mean, how, how do all of us gather here today and not just say over and over again, God, thank you that you are, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you for the mercy that you've shown me. Thank you that you've been patient in showing me mercy. Right? Are you with me? 
I mean, that, 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 he would, that he would not, the moment's notice of when she starts teaching and seducing his people away, that he would not just enact his perfect justice at that time. But he says, I gave her time to repent. I've been patient and waiting that she would repent. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. She's persisting in unrepentance. So here, you know, here's that, you know, that point said patient mercy, now perfect justice. Behold, I will throw her. You know, there's, there's now there's three people mentioned here, three groups mentioned here that will be, that will, that the, the justice of Jesus will be inflicted on. The first is her. I will throw her into a sickbed. The second and those is those who commit adultery with her. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And then the third group is her children. I will strike her children dead. Probably not her, her literal biological children, but rather the close adherents who are following her in this way and in this teaching. I will throw her onto a sickbed. I will bring great, great tribulation on those who commit adultery with her unless they repent. And I will strike her children dead. And then, y'all, listen to me. Sobering words for all of us here. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. With those flaming eyes of fire, he is the one who searches mind and hearts and knows the intent of the heart perfectly better than we know it ourselves. Oh, the perfect justice of a holy God. These couple verses lay before us the fullness of grace and truth that is found only in Jesus Christ. These couple verses lay before us the fact that our God is abounding in grace and mercy. And our God is perfect in inflicting his wrath and his justice. These verses remind us that God is fully gracious and God is deeply severe. And we have to hold those two things together. We cannot maximize one at the extent of minimizing the other. He's not 50-50 grace and truth. He is 100-100 grace and truth. And there is no illustration I can give you today that can even get our little brains to get that. But one of the closest I ever found that brought me to worship was reading C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of the Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I've used this line before, but one of the most beautiful lines spoken of Aslan. Is he safe? Oh, heavens, no, he's not safe, but he is good. Come on. He's so good. Of no one else can we say that he is perfect in his fullness of grace and mercy and he is perfect in his fullness of severe justice and he's perfect and good in all of that. And we see it right here. He's long-suffering and saying, I gave her time to repent. And he's perfectly just for the good and the purity of his church. And saying, we got to deal with this. And so now, 
the letter comes back full circle. The letter started by commending this thriving congregation in many ways. And then the letter had to go to the place where he says, I got to call you out for tolerating this. And here's how I'm going to handle this. But now, as every letter has done, eyes up, church, back to the eternal reality, the inheritance that's ours, who are conquerors in Jesus Christ. Look what he says, verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Look at me, every eye look at me. Hold fast what Jesus has given us until he comes back. Hold fast to every promise he has laid before us. Hold fast to all that his word teaches. Hold fast to every way that he has prescribed for us to walk in. Hold fast to it all. Hold fast when it's easy and hold fast when it's hard. Hold fast and don't let anyone pry your holding fast out of your grip. Hold fast because one day he's coming back. And you will praise the God of the universe that you held fast to the things of Christ. Hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give. Here's what the conquerors get. Here's the hope-filled reality held out for those who are conquerors in Christ. I will give authority over the nations. Holy smokes, what does that mean? And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when, earth, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and here's the second thing, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Fourth thing, to the conquerors, this. Christ gives his conquerors authority over the nations and the gift of himself. Now, what do these two things mean? What in the world does it mean that he will give the one who conquers authority over the nations? Um, the first thing I'll note on this is the wording that we find here in Revelation chapter 2 is remarkably similar to what we find in Psalm chapter 2. And there's for sure connection between those two things. So don't, don't turn there. Let me just read Psalm 2 to you. It says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We're seeing the more of the fullness of the reality of this coming together and how John records this in Revelation chapter 2. But, but still, what, what, does that, what does that mean? What is the fullness of this reality? Well, well, it seems that what this is teaching is that Jesus... The one with all authority. Do we all agree Jesus is the one with all authority? When he came back, gave the great, gave the great commission, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus, King of kings, one with all authority, there is no one more authoritative than our authority, Jesus Christ. The one with all authority invites his people, invites his saints to share in some way in the reign and the judgment of the nations. He does. I don't know what the fullness of all that looks like, but I do want to prove that there's more to this than what we just find in, in Revelation 2. L listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 2.12. It says, if we endure, if we endure, we will also, anyone know how that ends? We also reign with him. 
Or what it says in 1 Corinthians 6 about the, the, the invitation into the judging power of God. Look at what it says. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? What's that mean? I don't know. I don't know in its fullness, but it seems that what Jesus is inviting his people into, not on the same level in which he rules and reigns and judges, but it seems that he is inviting us into some sharing, some way in reigning in the judgment of the nations with him. Worship in the mystery of that. But that's not all he says that he would give to the conquerors. He also says this, and I will give him the morning star. I will give the conquerors the morning star. Now, what does this mean? Uh, it would be arrogance for me to stand up here and say, like, oh, I know definitively. Here's what it means. I mean, you can, you, like, if you go research this, you can find, you could read for days, days and days and days of what this could mean. Here's what I think is the most viable. Here's what I think is the most potent. The planet Venus in the Roman Empire had deep, deep, deep significance. Uh, they looked to it out there, right? It looked like the bright star, the bright morning star. And so the, this image of Venus as the, the bright star, the bright morning star, um, it, it, it would, it was, that, that image was put on their banners. And so as their generals would lead out into war, you'd have this image of, of Venus on the banner, the, the flag they're carrying out. And, and that image represented in, in, invincibility and eternality. We are the Roman Empire. We are invincible. We will always be. We are eternal. And, and it was the symbol that would fly on their flag and their banner as they went out to conquer. But that's not the only place you see this. Just as I said on the front end, Jesus has a way of always redeeming and showing what is ultimate from the little symbols that we bring into the world. Look at what it says in Revelation 22. It says, I, Jesus... <clears throat> have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the, the what? The bright morning star. You want to talk invincibility and eternality? Let's talk about me, Jesus says. So when he says to my conquerors, you will be invited in some way into the, to the, to, how does he say it, the, authority over the nations and you will receive the bright morning star of what I believe to be saying namely namely himself and the joy of the invincible eternality of the presence of Jesus forever and ever and ever amen church we stand your feet Let's <clears throat> hey I know <clears throat> I know these letters have said some heavy things at times. And I know that the Lord in his goodness has recorded them in his infallible word so that the churches down through time would study and would hear and would heed them. I know they've convicted us. I know they've convicted me. And yet I have found great grace in how each letter has ended with a reminder to the conquerors of the joy that waits before us, of the eternal presence forever and ever with Jesus. Amen. And so whatever comes, whatever hardships that we endure, 
of all these warnings that we've read, whatever we have to pass through as Christians in this day and age or as Redeemer Bible Church or as you personally, would we never stop holding fast to say, whispering in the heat and the heart of the moment, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. Because one day we'll see him face to face. One day you will see him face to face. Come on. No, like, don't give me the church thing. We're going to see him one day. And we will be, we will be awestruck. We will be, we will be awestruck in his presence. We will be speechless. We will be dumbfounded, like we will never, ever be in the more pure presence of anyone, and, and we will worship in a way that our heart finally, truly drinks in, like, I worshiped on earth. So everything, everything, everything. that we have to pass through, that these letters are equipping us for, that these letters are calling us to. The good and the hard, it's all worth it. So that's why we end the day and we just sing. We just sing about Jesus.